Morning's Bible reading is taken from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 42. That's John chapter 10, verses 1 to 42. It can be found on page 1527 of your pew Bibles. That's page 1527. John chapter 10, verses 1 to 42. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by my gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But that but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will turn away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? <clears throat> but others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, it is, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. When Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days, there he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place... Many believed in Jesus. Terrific. Thanks, Fernan. Um, well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you. My name's Nick. Um, hopefully you can work that out. My name's Nick, and uh, I'm the, uh, the student's pastor here, and I also work uh, part-time with evangelical students uh, on campus. So um, lovely to hear from Izzy before about Jesus Week. It's a really exciting time of year for us. I've uh, just come back from mid-year conference as well. It's been a great week. Um, and what a great passage. Let's, uh, let's pray for God's help as we, as we get into it. Let's, please pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much um, for the way that you speak to us. We thank you that your voice is good and trustworthy and true. And we pray as you speak to us from this passage that you would help us to have ears that are ready to hear and listen. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, one of the questions I think this passage invites us to think about is, uh, what is the voice that matters most to us in our life? Um, Whose voice or what voice is trustworthy? Uh, Whose voice is dependable? Whose voice is worth living by? I think this is one of the big questions in the passage, and I want to introduce it uh, in a slightly strange way by talking about sheep, Um, because as you may have noticed, there's lots of sheep in this passage, and there's also a shepherd. Uh, Now, I haven't actually spent much time with sheep personally. I've driven past them uh, on country roads a number of times, but I've never really worked with them, and so I thought it would be good um, to ask some experts on sheep uh, about sheep. So um, I chatted to some of the the kind of country guys at 6pm who've come over from uh, from regional uh, Victoria and regional South Australia, um, just to tell me about what it's like to work with sheep. And uh, they actually, they wrote me quite a long uh, essay about it. Um, so I, I haven't given you the full thing, but here's, here's some of what they had to say. And uh, as we talk about this, I just want you to remember, this is the image that Jesus chooses to use about us. They said, uh, sheep are funny animals. 
When it's all going well, they're great to work with, but when they decide they don't feel like cooperating, look out. Sheep are a flock animal in every sense of the word. They love to be with and follow their friends, and they go a bit crazy when they're by themselves. They love familiarity, and when the younger lambs are running through the race or the footpath for the first time, they need their mums to follow through, but each time you run them through the yards, they find their way a little bit more calmly. That being said, uh, sheep are pretty vulnerable creatures. They don't know what's best for them or have any real idea of the bigger picture of how to look after themselves. If you're feeding them over summer when there's no grass, you can't feed out too much or too often or too much wheat because they'll eat themselves sick. It's not like Christmas lunch where we eat a lot and eat a little nap. They fill up on grain, get a gut ache and die. Uh, They also don't exactly hold still and open wide when you're trying to shoot drench down their throat, and they don't jump headfirst into the dip or fall in an orderly line for the musing cradle or the catching pen. But the farmer, or the shepherd, nevertheless puts in the work to make sure that his sheep are fed adequately, drenched against worms, dipped against lice, mules to prevent fly strike, vaccinated against gazares and a range of other diseases, and sure nearly to prevent heat stroke and parasites. And the sheep never understands or really appreciates any of this unpleasantness, but it's all undertaken at great cost to the farmer for the good of the sheep. The shepherd can see the bigger picture and has the best interests of the sheep at heart. And sheep really do need their shepherds. They're natural prey, they have no defensive mechanisms, there's plenty of predators, and they're not very smart. A while back, we ran a mob into a containment pen and they were filtering into the yards, and out of nowhere, one got spooked and bolted from the mod headfirst into the gate and broke its own neck. This is a frustrating element of working with sheep, that every now and then you lose one to their own instinct or stupidity and all too often a lamb to a fox. Now, um, I I learned quite a lot from that. I thought that was really interesting. But um, Jesus in this passage says that we are like sheep and he is the good shepherd. You know, one of the things we hear in that description is that sometimes sheep are not too good at listening to their shepherd. We, we saw that in the, um, the kids' talk earlier as well, the all-age talk. And I wonder, uh, for you, uh, thinking about Jesus' words, Jesus' voice as the one who claims to be the shepherd, if you ever find it hard to trust in the, the goodness of his words, uh, like a sheep prone to bolt, do you ever wrestle with whether Jesus' words are worth listening to? I was reflecting on uh, our mid-year conference this week. We were just looking at how uh, Jesus' good news, how that shapes the different relationships that we're involved in uh, with God and each other. And I was thinking Jesus' words about relationships are profoundly countercultural in many ways. Uh, for instance, Jesus calls us uh, to self-giving love rather than self-indulgence. Jesus calls us to forgiveness and not to pay back. Jesus says that in terms of knowing him and coming to him and being saved by him, we have nothing really to offer. We must trust him and accept what he has done for us. In many ways, Jesus' words cut against many other voices that we hear. And I think sometimes they can be hard to stomach, hard to trust, hard to see as good. And sometimes we'd much rather listen to our friends or to just what we feel like doing or the radio commentator that we like. Um, In our passage today, I think Jesus wants us to know that his voice as our shepherd is completely trustworthy. Uh, He wants us to know that while we, like sheep, are susceptible to danger when we do things our own way, that he's a good shepherd. 
He's like the shepherd who at great expense uh, does all those things, uh, feeds and dips and shears and guards his sheep and that he'll care for us, he'll lead us to life. And so his voice is worth trusting, his voice is worth following. So we're going to hear what Jesus has to say about that and look at his words, particularly in verses 1 to 21. I'm not going to say a lot about the second half. I'll briefly touch on it at the end. That's where we're going. I think Jesus has three things really to say about himself as what it means that he is the good shepherd. And you'll see on the handout there's some headings there and they'll help you just follow along. The first thing I think Jesus has to say is in verse 1 to 6. And Jesus wants us to know that he is the trustworthy and legitimate shepherd. He's the the shepherd who's got the right to really shepherd the sheep. Now, uh, you might notice, if you look at the passage in verse 1, it actually continues on. We're we're continuing through John's gospel. It's continuing the story. And Jesus here is addressing the same people he was at the end of last week's chapter, and and that is the Pharisees. Uh, There's probably others listening on, like the blind man who was there. Uh, But he's continuing this conversation with these religious leaders who uh, we know are supposed to be the shepherds of God's people, Israel. They're supposed to be leading God's people to life. And yet, in the previous chapter, uh, as Jesus healed a blind man, uh, these guys, rather than uh, embracing him, encouraging him, thanking God for this amazing work, have belittled him. Uh, The blind man, uh, as he warmed to Jesus, found himself in increasing danger, not just from the religious authorities, but even from his own family. And yet despite this, uh, the blind man has listened to Jesus and ends up by the end of the chapter uh, worshipping him and praising him. So what's going on in our chapter, I think, is that Jesus is explaining what's happened. Why is it that despite the best attempts of the Pharisees to persuade this man to listen to them, that they've, he's instead listened to Jesus. So with that in mind, let me read from verse 2 to 5. Uh, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Think of the Pharisees here. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. What's Jesus saying? I think he's saying that unlike the Pharisees, he is a shepherd of God's people who has the right, the legitimate right to shepherd them, who can be trusted. He is the shepherd uh, whom the, the sheep will follow because he is like that. He is trustworthy. And I think these words explain what happened with the blind man why he was so deaf to the Pharisees, why he was so uh, alive to Jesus. Because as we heard before, sheep love familiarity. Uh, You know, they follow through the sheep pens um, and and, uh, in the run. uh, And they also, they love to hear their shepherd's voice. They're familiar with their shepherd's voice. And so it was with the blind man. He hears the call of the legitimate shepherd and he follows. Now, interestingly here, there's this little kind of thing that uh, the blind man seems to have been uh, in, the, in, the, in the illustration. He was a sheep before he was called. Uh, he had something going on in, in who he was that meant that he was able to hear and to listen to uh, what Jesus had to say. And I think there's a little hint there uh, that God was preparing this man to hear Jesus, preparing his heart even before he heard Jesus' words in the first place. Uh, we'll talk more a little bit about that later, but I think um, Jesus' words, they must have been very comforting for this blind man. 
Uh, think about the blind man's situation and what it would be like to be in his shoes. Uh, he had people all around him uh, kind of shouting at him, saying, don't follow Jesus. His family, as we heard last week, threw him under the bus. The authorities had a go at him, eventually cast him out of the synagogue. But through all of those different voices, Jesus had called him and given him sight and he'd listened to Jesus. And Jesus reassures him here that he's in the right place. He's come to the shepherd of his soul and his shepherd will defend him. I think actually that's great news for us as well. Uh, who've heard Jesus call to follow and live in a world where there are many voices, actually, that would prefer us not to follow Jesus. Uh, for instance, I like to read the newspaper. Uh, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. Um, and, but so often I find, just in, in what I read in the newspaper, that there'll be somewhere along the line, just a little comment about how Christianity is dead or how about Christian ethics are immoral, or those, those kind of things. Um, the writer of those comments would like me not to follow Jesus. Uh, You might uh, think about family. Uh, You might be someone who faces pressure from your family, like this blind man. Uh, Not to follow Jesus, not to get too involved in that that church business, Uh, work on your career, be comfortable, enjoy life. Don't follow Jesus. It's not always particularly overt, but there are subtle pressures in our world uh, that would have us go in a different direction to Jesus. And I think about our uni students Uh, For a moment, sometimes they will have lecturers who may have a go at them in the lecture uh, for being followers of Jesus, uh, who may critique and undermine the claims of Jesus. They might find it harder to make friends because they follow Jesus. Um, Friends, Jesus wants us to know that if that's us, if we feel the the pull and the call of other voices, uh, that if we are with him, we are safe. If you're a Christian, uh, actually the only voice that makes sense to listen to uh, in a world full of many voices, when it comes to who to follow most of all, it's the shepherd, Jesus. In a world full of thieves and robbers, Jesus says you're safe with him. Um, As a bit of an aside, I think Jesus' words here also have something really important to say to us uh, who have been at some point hurt by spiritual leaders who have been poor shepherds. Uh, That's the kind of situation that Jesus is speaking to here. I think it's deeply comforting that Jesus sees that that is um, a possibility. You notice how how clear he is about the the awful reality that there are thieves and robbers around. There are hired hands who abandon the flock. I think Jesus, uh, in many ways, is the first to... um, to bring to the table that there are people in religious institutions who use power for their own good. And yet Jesus wants us to know that while there are thieves and robbers, he's not like that. He's a very different kind of leader. Um, And Jesus at this point stands in a long tradition actually of God calling out poor religious leadership. Uh, So Micah 2, we've got it on screen and also in the handout. Uh, God describes Israel's leaders as cannibals, people who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. And this is what's happened really to the blind man. He's been belittled by the religious authorities. And so uh, they've continued this long-standing tradition of injustice in in God's people. And yet Jesus says to that man, uh, I am the good shepherd even when, uh, especially when human leaders fail to shepherd, 
Jesus remains trustworthy. And the church's voice is as good as its connection to Jesus' voice. Uh, When we listen to Jesus' voice, uh, we as faithful representatives, his ambassadors, uh, when we depart from his voice, we have nothing uh, to say useful about him. The thing is, though, uh, we know from experience that if someone says to us, hey, you should really listen to what I've got to say, I'm trustworthy, um, that that's not always a convincing reason. You think of the door-to-door salesman, if they still come round, or election promises. Uh, People can say things that are just words. And so we need to ask at this point, uh, is Jesus like that? Uh, Is Jesus the kind of person, the kind of leader who says, I'm trustworthy, I'm legitimate? Uh, and just says words. Why is he different from the Pharisees and their claim to be good leaders? Uh, Why should we listen to Jesus? I think this is where Jesus goes in the next 10 verses, and this is where we're going to spend most of the rest of our time. I think he's got two reasons why he is a legitimate shepherd, uh, a trustworthy shepherd. Let's take a look. Uh, First of all, verse 7 to 10, uh, we see that Jesus is a shepherd who leads his sheep to life. Let me read from verse 7 to 10. Uh, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now you might notice Jesus has switched metaphor here. Um, Don't spend... Uh, Too long pondering how Jesus can be both the the shepherd and the gate at the same time. Uh, It's, you know, a complementary image. But the point is that Jesus is the kind of shepherd who's helping his sheep to find good pasture. You think of the kind of shepherds uh, the country guys were describing. Um, It's the kind of shepherd who, uh, you know, in winter when the grass is green, leads them to the best grass. And in summer when, uh, you know, it's dry and there's not a lot around, he offers them feed. Jesus gives his sheep what is good. Now, um, just by the way, what does it mean that Jesus gives life to the full? Uh, It's a a phrase that Christians like to use. It's a phrase that we talk about quite a lot. And I think sometimes uh, the way that we can use this can be to say uh, that, uh, that when you become a Christian, your life will always be amazing. It will be fun. It will be fulfilling. It will be rich all the time. And that can be a bit confusing when you become a Christian and and. Not everything is really easy all the time. That can be jarring. What's Jesus saying there when he says, I've come to bring life and to the full? Well, partly he's talking about eternal life, but he's also talking about something else, life to the full. And I think what he's saying is that he has come to bring a life which is in some way fun, rich, fulfilling and good, but not in the way that we would normally think. I think Jesus here is talking about life as it's meant to be lived. Life as it was with Adam and Eve in the garden, life as it will be perfected at the end and that we look forward to, that will be a full life. Um, But now, I think he's talked about life that is lived for God's glory and pleasure, life that is uh, as his creatures, uh, as those who are his sheep. Listen uh, for a sec to how Paul describes the kind of life that uh, Christians live. And just notice some of the... um, the sense, uh, the way that, I guess, suffering and fullness relate to each other. He says uh, of his own ministry in 2 Corinthians 6, we are genuine yet regarded as impostors. Uh, We are known yet regarded as unknown. We are dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, 
sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, and having nothing and yet possessing everything. I think Paul there is describing in different words life to the full. And we see actually the blind man uh, living out life to the full. Uh, Think about the blind man. Did the blind man's life get easier when he started to follow Jesus? Well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Uh, Yes, uh, he got his sight back. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Um, But no, in that actually his family started to distance themselves from him uh, and he, he was cut off from the synagogue where his people would meet together. That would have been pretty hard, wouldn't it? Uh, Jesus says to him, I've come to bring you life to the full. In some ways, it needs to make sense of that. And yet, I think we see in the blind man's response something of the fullness that he's received in his growing confidence and joy that with Jesus, he's safe and sound. Um, You see, he he kind of handles himself so beautifully before the Pharisees um, because he has a new direction, a new purpose, a uh, a new joy in life. good life, uh, friends, can be full at times of hardship. It can be full of suffering and loneliness and grief and even poverty. And yet, if we belong to Jesus, even in those things, we also are loved and known by him. We have the hope of resurrection. We have the promise of the future. We have the spirit indwelling. We have Uh, the provision and guidance of a good father. We have the forgiveness of sin, the peace and grace of God, and we're made new every day. So if you're a Christian, you have life to the full. I think that's pretty cool. Now, um, it was a great joy, actually, just during the week to be um, spending time with our our students and uh, seeing them uh, growing as people who are living a life to the full, life that pleases God. Um, One little way, uh, uni students, I guess, um, at home probably aren't too good at doing the dishes um, and, uh, you know, kind of helping out around the house. That's kind of a, uh, you know, as a merging into adulthood kind of thing. But uh, one of the the lovely things about gathering together on camp is that we get to actually um, talk about what kind of Christian community looks like and serving each other and being kind and compassionate towards each other. Um, and uh, seeing them grow as people who take responsibility for those around them in little ways like picking up the plates and doing the dishes. Um, that's just a, a, little, a little tiny glimpse, I think, of the ways in which um, during the week God was growing us to be people who live the full life. Uh, as we head towards Jesus week, we're looking forward to living the full life as we testimony, testify to Jesus together. And if you're a Christian, that is what God is doing in you. Again, though, you might ask, well, how do I know that Jesus is able to offer that? Uh, How can I trust that Jesus is able to lead me to the good life, that that's not just empty words? And I think um, this is where Jesus' work uh, is so significant because he says in verse 14 to 18 uh, that he has authority and right to offer life to his sheep um, because of his relationship to death. We see that Jesus himself is someone who would prevail over death, who would take up his life again from the grave. And Jesus' resurrection is the thing that guarantees his ability to lead his sheep to life. Um, The one who promises us life to the full knows about life 
uh, because he has overcome death. He is the shepherd who lives forever. That's what qualifies him to do that. Now, if you're here uh, and you're not a Christian, uh, I just want to encourage you then to really think hard about Jesus' resurrection. If, if you're going to spend your time investigating anything about Christianity, one of the things that's really key to think about is the resurrection because, as we see here, it's, it's the kind of the linchpin and the foundation of everything that Christians believe. Uh, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he has no right to say, I will give you life. But if he did, then he is uniquely qualified and legitimate to be our resurrected shepherd. Moving on, Jesus gives one more reason that he is trustworthy. We see it in verse 11. Uh, have a look with me. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what does that mean? Uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus, Jesus' next reason why he is trustworthy. Um, you remember the, 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 um, the image of that, uh, that shepherd who goes to great lengths to shepherd his sheep uh, at great personal cost and unpleasantness. Farming is hard, dirty work. And he does that for the, the good of the, the sheep who need his care. Um, Jesus here goes further than that. He is not just a farmer who gets in and works hard. Jesus doesn't just put his life on the line for the sheep. Uh, Jesus gives all of his life for the sheep. And he's talking, of course, about his death on the cross. Now, uh, why does Jesus need to die for his sheep? What kind of makes him different in this sense from a, a, an everyday shepherd? I think there's a little clue in, in the phrase for. Uh, he dies for the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. And that points us back to other kind of parts of John where we've seen Jesus explain what's happening when he dies. You might think back to John 1 where Jesus was described as the Lamb of God who takes away their sin. What Jesus is hinting at here is that his death for the sheep is not just an example for the sheep, it's, it's not just a, a protection barrier for the sheep, uh, it is a death died in place of the sheep. Um, to use kind of sheep imagery, I think uh, we, we heard before about the sheep that bolts uh, to its own death. Uh, we are like that sheep, running fast and furious away from God to our own destruction. Uh, Jesus died that death in our place. Jesus took the place of the sheep running towards the fence, to use the metaphor. When Jesus dies on the cross, he did that to rescue his sheep, uh, to bring them safe from danger, that they might have life with him. Now, in the context of the passage, the thing that's really important about that is that in doing that, Jesus is unlike any other leader or shepherd. Uh, think about the, the different voices that you like to listen to, uh, think about the people who are influential in your life. None of them can do what Jesus did. None of them will ever take your place before uh, the wrath of God. None of them will ever die the death you deserve because of sin. But Jesus has. As John puts it, this is how we know God loves us. Christ laid down his life. Let's drawing that together. I, I think there's times in the Christian life where... Um, the call of voices other than Jesus actually can be very appealing. Uh, when Jesus' voice can feel very weak, 
Um, just as a very trivial example, I was thinking this week about how, um, how grumpy and frustrated I can be uh, when our kids get sick. This is very trivial. It's that time of year, though, where, you know, uh, people are getting sick, and uh, in a family of five, it tends to go round and round and round. Now, uh, in that situation, uh, I would much rather wallow in self-pity and grumpiness and just the sense that, uh, you know, um, I want to be grumpy and I want to be frustrated about this, uh, and you can't bring me out of that. I'd much rather do that than love my family. Uh, at that point, though, I'm not listening, I'm not listening to the voice of the shepherd who would want me to actually to be like him as someone who is kind and compassionate and self-giving. At that times, what I need to hear and remind myself of um, is that Jesus, uh, Jesus is the one who's uh, worth listening to. Jesus is the one who has a right to call me to be kind. Um, Jesus is the one who is leading me towards what's good, that in doing that for my family, uh, it's actually going to be, uh, in the end, uh, it's going to be pleasing to him and it's going to be the good life. Um, but I need to remember, actually, that Jesus is the one who knows what it's like um, to do the hard thing uh, because he has done that for us in laying down his own life. When we doubt the goodness of his words, in whatever situation it is, uh, remember the cross, remember that Jesus isn't just asking you to do it at arm's length. He's been there and done it for you. Um, before we finish, I just want to speak briefly to those of us who are perhaps sitting here very patiently and wondering, well, that's all very well and good, but uh, what if I'm actually not a sheep? Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, how Jesus' words are comforting for us if we are, in fact, sheep, uh, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, what, what are you supposed to do with all of this? I think um, the great thing about the Bible is that uh, sometimes uh, it says different things to different people at, uh, in different passages. And here we actually see Jesus address that question very directly in the second half of the passage. So listen to verse 24 to 26. Um, and this is Jesus' conversation with those who don't believe him. The Jews who were gathered there around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, uh, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Uh, and so Jesus' initial response to those who uh, people... Jesus, sorry, Jesus' initial answer to why some people have listened to him and some people haven't uh, is that these people who haven't listened are not his sheep. Uh, he said a very similar thing actually in chapter 8 when he said that his opponents didn't know God. Now you might think, well, what are they supposed to do with that? Um, do they kind of go, okay, I'm, I'm not a sheep, we'll see you, Jesus, that, that'll do. Uh, well, interestingly, uh, Jesus doesn't stop there. Just because someone doesn't currently look like a sheep doesn't mean that this is the end of the story. They're, they're not a sheep. And Jesus has two things that he wants people uh, who are interested in him, who would like to believe in him perhaps, or would like to consider his claims, two things that he would like them to do. Uh, first of all, verse 34 to 36, uh, he talks this, this whole kind of interaction about uh, uh, this, this phrase, um, gods and not gods. And I think what it's about is Jesus challenging his opponents to consider the coherence of what he's got to say um, with the wider Bible story. Um, throughout 
John, we've seen Jesus claiming to people who are very familiar with the Old Testament that that whole story has, has reached its climax with him. He's the word of creation. He's the true sacrificial lamb. He's the temple. He's the son of God, all those kind of things. Here, I think he's saying to people, if you don't believe, why don't you go back to your Old Testament? Uh, have a think about it. Think about whether what I'm saying, who I am, actually is coherent with that wider story. Uh, Jesus wants people to read the Old Testament and think about it. Now, if you're here, you're thinking about Christianity, uh, it's worth remembering Jesus was speaking to people who already had read much of the Old Testament uh, and who were very familiar with it. And so I'm not saying to you, you should uh, go and pick up Genesis and keep reading until you get to Malachi, because um, that, would, that would take a long time. That would be a good thing to do, but it's going to take time. Um, what I do think would be a good thing is to perhaps read a, a kid's Bible. Now, uh, in saying that, I'm not trying to be patronising, uh, as if you don't have the capacity to read a, um, the Bible, uh, the, the Old Testament, but I think in a kid's Bible, you actually get, um, you get kind of a sweep of the whole Old Testament story presented in a fun way with pictures, um, and it, you get to kind of read the whole thing quite quickly. Um, if you're new to the Old Testament, I reckon that would be a great thing to do. Um, just have a look at a, a kid's Bible that tries to help you see the connections across the story. And I've, I've put one there that's um, got beautiful images um, for adults as well as kids, um, and I really enjoy reading with my kids. Um, the other thing you might want to do, though, is to grab a friend and say, hey, I've read a bit of the, the New Testament, perhaps, and I'd like to think a bit further. Can you help me to think about whether the Bible story fits together, whether Jesus really is actually um, someone who's kind of uh, the culmination of these 66 books and many, many authors and thousands of years. Does that actually make sense? Is that true? Jesus' second challenge, I think it's uh, verse 37, 38, and I, th I think his second challenge to his opponents is that they need to consider his works or miracles. So verse 38, he says, "'Even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand.'" Now, uh, if you're here and you're sceptical, interested in Jesus... Uh, why not take Jesus up on this? Spend some time pondering Jesus' miracles, particularly his resurrection. Um, what you might want to do, again, you could grab a friend for this and say, hey, could we read through, um, this is much shorter exercise, read through one of uh, the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and can we just look at the miracles uh, and ask questions about them? And you could ask questions like, is it true? Um, what does it say about Jesus if it is true? Uh, why did this person write it down? How did they know? Did they, did they see it firsthand? Did they hear about it? That kind of thing. Um, if it's not true, then uh, how did it come to be recorded here? Just logical, sensible questions. There's a little quote on the end of um, your leaflet too that might help you think about some of those questions. And I think to do that would actually to be doing what Jesus is inviting you to do, uh, to consider his works afresh, and so perhaps to believe. The, thing, the other thing I want to say to you is that the fact that Jesus continues to challenge his opponents to believe, I think means that they actually could find in the end that they are his sheep. And in verse 42, we see some people like that who did not previously believe. Their first response to Jesus' words was disbelief. And yet over time, as they've reconsidered, uh, they've heard the shepherd and also come to life. And so perhaps if you keep investigating, um, ask God that you too might be a sheep and have life in Jesus. 
Let me wrap up briefly. Um, what have we seen? We've seen this passage that we are like sheep. We are vulnerable creatures. We struggle to see the big picture. We, uh, we are susceptible to be letting away from, by the, from the good life. And yet Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, he has the right to talk to us about life, what it's all about. Uh, he's trustworthy more than any other leader. And we can know that because of his death and resurrection. How about I pray now and lead us in prayer that we'd be people who listen to Jesus' voice. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much that he is not the kind of leader who stands at arm's length and just tells us what to do. But Father, instead, he's the one who came and lived among us, who laid down his life for us and who rose again victorious over the grave. Father, we pray that you might remind us uh, this morning of how good he is, that you might help us when we doubt his goodness to challenge those thoughts with the thought of his death and resurrection. And Father, that you might help us uh, to listen to him as the good shepherd. We pray it for his sake. Amen.